Well, I just got back uh, early yesterday morning from a week in Texas where I was in Louisville in the Dallas area with a, a camp called the Future Preacher Training Camp or Preacher Training Camp. And at that camp, what you do is uh, you arrive and there are these uh, campers, high school age uh, young men who have at least an interest in the idea of ministry, whether it is full-time ministry or it is just wanting to be able to be a helpful, productive member of the church one day. Uh, they spend a week learning what life is like as a minister, as a preacher or a youth minister or uh, various other kinds of ministries. And throughout the week, they have a, a project, basically. They're assigned a text of scripture on Monday and they learn how to study a text, how to read through it a bunch, how to try to decipher uh, the main point of it, some of the key ideas. And as the week goes on, they take some of the ideas from their text and try to mold them into uh, a lesson. They try to learn how to communicate that lesson, how to structure that lesson in such a way that you could present it. And then at the end of the week, they stand up and they preach their lesson. And so throughout the week, there are other ministers who come in who talk to them about other aspects of church service. Um, there are uh, a lot of uh, a lot of lessons and uh, projects and things that kind of deal with how to pay attention to context as you study. And there, there's a lot that goes into it. But one thing that always happens is I see young men spend a week in the Word of God, spend the week learning about serving others, spend a week learning how to communicate the good news of the gospel and the truth of God to other people. And throughout a week, if you spend your time doing that, it's really transformative. The difference between Sunday when we arrive and Friday when they're preaching, it's always substantial. And to me, it's a difference that fills me with hope. It's a difference that is always encouraging and refreshing for me. I, I've been to lectureships before and I've been to other things, but I'll say honestly, there's, not, there's nothing I go to that is better for me in my ministry and is as refreshing as going and spending a week with other ministers and watching the next group of the next generation of ministers come along and learn and, and study and practice. It is always something that, uh, that fills me with a lot of hope. And so as I approach this lesson, I'm encouraged right now and I have hope right now. I have hope that sometimes we look around the world and we think, oh man, things are going in a terrible direction. But sometimes when you spend a week like I just did, you're filled with, you know what? There's reason to be optimistic about the future. There's reason to have hope that there are good things on the horizon. There's reason to have hope that, uh, that the church can continue to make an impact, continue to change lives, and continue to bring the message of Jesus to a world that's very much in need of it. However, whenever you talk about the church, or whenever you talk about the future, um, you're talking about something that's uncertain. And really that's true with like whatever topic it is. If you're talking about financially and you're planning for your future, you're planning for something that's uncertain because you never know what unexpected things might arise and completely destroy your plans. Uh, I think a lot of people over the last couple months and years have maybe had some of their future financial plans uh, turned upside down. That happens. Riches are uncertain. That's always going to happen. Um, when it comes to our families, there might be things that you hope for in your future and you plan for and you believe that this is what's going to happen. But as day turns into month, turns into year, turns into decade, you start seeing that 
what you envisioned is not at all what, what things are turning out to be. Sometimes that could be good. Sometimes that could be really difficult, um, especially when you suffer an unexpected loss, especially when maybe someone who you, you care about, uh, who you are a brother and sister in Christ with, and now you look at them and they, they want virtually nothing to do with Jesus. There's, there's a lot of ways that unexpected things can come into our lives and ruin the vision that we had for the future. Um, when you go start college, you do so in hope that you'll eventually get a degree and that the effort and the expense will be worth it at that time. I think when we talk about the future, there's a couple of different ways you could, you could approach it. Um, you could always despair because you don't know what the future holds, or you could always despair because the future doesn't always turn out as you expect it to be. But I think there is a way of living for the future and trying to live with wisdom now because there is a future that's coming. But at the same time, being prepared for the unexpected things that come in and, and, and change what our hopes are. But you don't have to live in despair even though you can't control the future. You don't have to say, oh, there's no point in starting a degree because I don't know if I'll ever be able to finish it. There's no point in starting to learn a language because I might die before I try to reach it, you know, be able to use it. Like you can always say, because I'm uncertain, I don't have to work towards that now. But I think the Bible presents a different way of thinking about the future. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to talk about uh, a particular scenario where the church found itself in, and the Hebrews author is trying to get the church to live now for the future. The future is unseen, though. It's like with every one of us. The future is unseen. You could say, well, I don't want to get married now because I don't know what the future holds. But I think what the Hebrews writer is going to do is try to get us to live in such a way that, yes, the future is uncertain. We don't always know what's going to happen. But there are certain things you can trust. And there are certain things you can always live for. And there are certain things that you can always uh, count on. And those are the things of God. So when it comes to my finances, I might not be able to trust in that. When it comes to how long I'm going to live, I don't know how much confidence to put in that. But the fact that there is a God and the fact that there is a future home and the fact that God loves me, those are things that no matter what happens in an election or no matter what happens in my family or no matter what happens with my finances or no matter what happens in my travels, like, that's something you can always count on. There are some things in this life, if you are a Christian, that you could firmly fix your hope on. And Hebrews 11 is going to give us some of those things. Now, Hebrews uh, is written to a group of people who they're experiencing a lot. And because of that, they are really contemplating the idea, it seems, of abandoning some of the commitments that they had made in Christ. They had committed themselves to Christ. They had been baptized. They had started living for Christ. They had tried to get, live lives of faith and hope. But as they look around them, the uncertainty is overwhelming. Uh, some of them have actually suffered persecution for it. Uh, we get the impression maybe not a lot of them have been killed yet, but we do know that there are people who've been put in prison. We know there are people who've had their property taken. Some of these are very specific things that pop up in the text where you realize these people are suffering. And man, if you don't know if you're going to see your family again because you might be put in prison because you committed yourself to Christ, it's hard to stay committed to Christ, especially when you can see your family and you can see your children, but you can't see Christ. 
Or if you think, well, you know what? I'm losing my property, and I, I, how am I going to provide for my family in the future if it's being confiscated from me because of some of these decisions I made? And I can see that property. Now, I've been told that there's a future home and future property uh, that God has prepared for me, but, but one of them I can see and the other one I can't. It's so much easier to affix our hope on that which we can see. The problem with doing that, though, is the things that we can see are so often the things that are unstable and that change. And the, the things that we can't see are the things that often endure and give us hope uh, even through trial and conflict. And so Hebrews is trying to get us to transform our mindset from fixating and putting our trust in only the stuff that we can see and trying to live that difficult journey of putting your hope and your trust in that which you cannot see. And if you're going to do that, which is, it's essential to do that to be a Christian. I mean, being a Christian is not easy. It is not easy to live your life sacrificing now in hope of a better day that you haven't seen. <laughs> and, and so if you're going to do that, you need endurance. Like endurance is the key idea that the Hebrews writer is going to come back to over and over again and say, you have need of endurance. Like if you're going to do this, you have to be able to run the race even if you can't see the finish line. You know, there are some races where you can run, you can see the finish line the whole time. Like if you're running, like racing someone 40 yards or something like that, that is, that is a little bit easier because you know where you're finishing. But when you have one of those long distance races that goes every which way and you don't know exactly where you are and you don't know what lies ahead of you and you don't know how long until the finish line, and then it gets a whole lot more tiring and difficult to just keep moving forward. It requires a level of toughness that's not easy to come by. It requires training in order to do that. And that's what we're about to get for our Christian walk. An encouragement for endurance, for toughness, for training, and for changing our mindset as we approach the uncertainty that always lies ahead of us. Look, no matter whether you're a Christian or not, uncertainty lies ahead of you. No one can face the, the future with complete assurance of what things are going to happen, of what matters most, of what your future holds. But as a Christian, you have certain things that you can hold on to, and you have certain hopes that can get you through. And the Hebrews author is going to talk about them. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. Right before we get to Hebrews 11, um, this is where he's going to begin kind of laying out the problem and what he's hoping will ultimately come about because of it. So in verse 32, he says, But remember the former days. Even just that phrase right there is important. Uh, the idea of remembering. As a Christian, one of the best things you can do to have hope for the future is to remember the past. Remember that there is a God. Remember that we have a God who created the world. Remember that there really was a man named Jesus who lived and who died. Remember that there really was a resurrection that transformed the world and that 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, people are still talking about it because it was kind of a big deal. Like, remember what God has done and if you can live your life with those actions of God foundational to the way you view the world, that gives you something sturdy to rest upon as you look towards the future. But what he's going to say in verse 32 is remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. When he says after being enlightened, he's talking about basically coming to know Christ. He says, remember back when you guys became Christians, 
you endured tremendous suffering at that time. Verse 33, he named some of it. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. Like, you were made to look kind of foolish. And by the way, that's not, like, if you have any pride at all, it is hard to willingly look foolish in front of people publicly. He says, when you became Christians and people knew that about you, you looked like fools. And that brought about tribulation and hardship in your life. He says, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So there were some people who were publicly ridiculed, and even just by association with them, you started to look worse. You were taking a hit on your reputation by becoming a Christian. Then verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Okay, so there were some people who were put in prison for this, and they no doubt are suffering, but then you, by showing sympathy, by visiting, by showing kindness towards them, you become sharers in that suffering and in that mockery. And he says in verse 34, and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Now that's fascinating. Keep that word joyfully in your head, by the way. Uh, we'll come back to it in a minute. But they joyfully accepted the fact that their property was getting taken from them. Why? Like, how in the world could that happen? I could understand perhaps losing your property, but not joyfully. You're still going to be mad about it. Think, how dare they persecute me? Uh, but he says, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Why? Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So the reason they could endure now is because of the hope that they had before them. Now, he mentions two different properties there. One that was taken from them, and one, he says, a better and a lasting one that you have in store. Which one have they seen, and which one have they not seen? Well, they saw the property that got taken from them, but they had hope and trust in the property that they have not seen that will never be taken. It's a better one, though, and it's one that lasts. The property you had didn't last. The property that is in store for you is something that will last. So verse 35, after this brief walk down memory lane of some of the things that they've gone through and suffered, he says, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. That reward, by the way, they have not seen yet. That reward is something that lies before them, but it's not something they've seen. And again, it's hard to live your life focused on something you can't see. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. He comes back to the idea of endurance again. So that when they have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So what is it that you're fixing your hope on if you haven't seen it? You're fixing your hope on promises. Like, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it. There are some people, if they promised me something, it's not going to mean a whole lot. If you've like, had dealings with people who lie or who uh, don't really stick to their word, they're not really faithful or trustworthy, like, a promise means nothing from them. But the book of Hebrews is written largely dependent upon trusting the promises of God because God is always faithful and trustworthy. God has demonstrated his faithfulness to his promises time and time and time and time again. You know, it's kind of like the question, um, can you see love? I mean, you can see images of love. You can see what love might look like in certain ways, but like love itself is unseen. But if you are married to someone who has demonstrated over your history and over your relationship over and over again that they love you 
and they show it, then it becomes a whole lot easier to trust in the fact that they love you and to trust in the future of that relationship because it's based on something that's happened before. It's based on a consistent relationship. If you're going to trust in God, remember what he has done. Remember his promises. Remember Christ. And that makes it a whole lot easier to, even though you don't see the future, to be able to fix your hope in the future. That's what faithfulness is. And so he's going to continue on saying, you have need of endurance to receive that better possession and the lasting one. You have need of endurance because there's a great reward in store for you. You have need of endurance because you have what God has promised. And in, in each of these verses, he concludes by reminding them there's something better in store for you. So don't give up on it. Uh, verse 37 He's going to uh, look back at a passage from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. And in it, there's going to be a really important idea that's really central to the book of Hebrews. And I think it becomes uh, really important for us as well. He says, For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Two different types of people. There's the righteous one who lives by faith. And then there's the one who shrinks back. When this person looks at the future, they think, I can't do it. It's not worth it. I know I made the promise to stay faithful to Jesus. I know I made my commitment to, to follow him. I know when I was baptized, I pledged my life to him. But when I look at the uncertainty surrounding me, when I look at the, the difficulty that I might have to endure through persecution, when I look at my family who has not chosen to follow Christ, when I look at my former way of life and how much easier things were, I think I'm just going to give up. That's the one who shrinks back. But the righteous one is the one who lives by faithfulness, is the one who is trustworthy and committed and sticks with it. We, we talk about the word uh, by faith, and notice in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 38, it says, my righteous one will live by faith. If you keep that phrase in your head, and then you read chapter 11, which he's building to, notice almost every verse is going to start with that phrase, by faith, and then he'll mention some righteous one who lived by faith. Uh, he'll do that, like that becomes, he pulls that phrase out and uses that to give one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. But the whole idea of it is you have person after person after person after person who endured something extremely difficult, something uh, that, that, you know, I haven't gone through before, and they did so in the hope of something that they could not see. And yet they remained committed to God throughout. Whether you're talking about Abel, or whether you're talking about Noah, or whether you're talking about Abram, like over and over again you get these people who they did not see what God had promised them. But they lived for it even through difficulty, and because of that, they remained his righteous ones. They, that's how they, that's how they lived up to the testimony that they were faithful and righteous. And we are being called to join in to that band, to join in with that group, to be named among that crowd. So verse 39, he says, but we are not those who shrink back into destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Um, faith in the book of Hebrews is a whole lot more than the idea of just belief, of like believing some facts or something like that. Faith I think is, is, would be better translated perhaps as faithfulness. Um, it's the idea of like, if you have a spouse and uh, you know that they are going to be committed to you and they're not going to run around, they're not cheating on you, they're not going to leave you, it's because you know they're faithful and trustworthy. I think that's the idea that is, that is behind the word faith right here. It's, 
you are not going to leave or depart. These people didn't leave or depart or go find another God. They're faithful people. And that's what we're called to be. Why? Chapter 11 and verse 1. Because this is what faith or faithfulness is. Faith is the assurance of the thing hoped for and the conviction or the certainty of the thing that is not seen. Now that's the tricky thing about the future. It's, it's all about what you hope for, but it's also about that which you cannot see. And that's true for everybody. The faithful one can look back and learn from the experiences they've had in the past, can learn from what God has done in the past, and have a fixed hope for the future because of it. I don't think you can live your life as a Christian for very long if you don't have hope for a better day. Jesus actually requires some pretty tough stuff. Um, some of the things that Jesus says about not trusting in wealth, that becomes hard to do if you don't have hope for a better future. Uh, loving the things of this world that you can see, it's so easy to do if you don't learn to develop a trust for the future. But what the book of Hebrews is saying is even when it's difficult to make those kinds of sacrifices, even when there's persecution that you have to face, even when you don't know what difficulties lie ahead of you, with a God that you can trust and that you can hope in, you can continue to endure. But if you don't have that hope, it, I mean, it's a, why would you endure if you don't trust that there's something better on the other end of it? If you don't trust in the goodness of God and the faithfulness of Christ and in uh, a relationship with them that will one day be realized in the most fulfilled terms possible, it becomes hard to suffer for that. You know, why would you go through the difficulty of trying to earn a degree if you thought on that day they're going to be like, ah, no degree for you. Get out of here. Like, you, if you thought that was what was lying in store, then you might not work that hard for it. You know, if you, it, why would you work hard for a job if you thought on payday that it'd be like, eh, forget about it. Uh, like, the reason you do things is because you have hope. Even though you, even though you don't know they're going to give you a paycheck or the degree, you think they should. That, that's, what, that's what you've seen other people happen. You begin to develop a trust in that. And what he's saying is faithfulness to God is living a life of hope and trust in what he's going to do, even when you can't see it. That's what it's all about. So then you read through chapter 11, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, but over and over again, this idea of enduring for that which you cannot see becomes the central theme. That's what faithful people do. We, in verse 3, can all have a foundation of this idea by looking back to creation. Uh, verse 3 says, by faith. We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that that which is seen, what we see all around us, was not made out of that which is visible. All right, so already he's starting about the stuff that you can't see. It's like, I didn't see creation, and I didn't see the God who created it. But I do, I do see creation now, and I know that there's an explanation of it, and I know that there is a reasonable explanation found in the fact that creation was created. Uh, and, and so you look back, and you can learn about God. Even though you didn't see that event, you can have confidence in it. And he says that that's what righteous people uh, do throughout time. You can look at, um, look at chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned about, uh, by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark. So did, had he seen the flood that was coming and the salvation that was on the other side? Had he seen? No. 
but he trusted in God and he endured even that which he had not seen. Uh, Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed by going to a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. He hadn't seen it. He didn't get on Google and check out where the promised land was going to look like. He had to go sight unseen, just trusting in God to lead the way. Uh, this is the idea that pops up repeatedly throughout, uh, throughout Hebrews chapter 11. You can look at uh, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac shall your descendants be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So think about that. Um, Abraham knew the past promise of God that through Isaac he would have a bunch of descendants. And so when it comes to that whole difficult sacrifice narrative, he's saying, I haven't seen people come back from the dead, but surely God's going to do something like that. I trust that he will because he already made the promise. So he trusted in the promise even into the future that he could not see. And he was right to trust in God because God didn't allow that to happen. God came through to demonstrate that while there might be other gods who you don't know who would require that type of thing from you, the God of Israel would never require that of you. And so he demonstrated the goodness of God through that, who God is. It was an important lesson about building a relationship with God. But at the same time, it showed that Abraham was willing to trust the promises in the past in hope of a future that was to come. You keep reading uh, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things yet to come. Things not yet seen. Uh, Look down at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure, that's our word endurance again, ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. This passage started by saying you have a great reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So Moses could see the king and could see what the king could do, but he chose to endure in the faith and in the hope of that which is unseen. That's the transition that he's trying to get us to make from trusting solely in what we see to being able to have trust in a future that no one can see because there is an unseen God who has made promises. So you can continue to read through and you see lesson after lesson about righteous ones who endured. But as we bring our lesson to a close, we're going to look at the ultimate example of what this is all about. And that's in chapter 12. He spends Hebrews 10 saying, you have need of endurance because there's a great reward uh, ahead of you. He gives example after example after example of people who endured for the unseen promise of God. And then he culminates it in chapter 12 with the call to action. This is what we do because of that. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangled us and let us run with endurance. That's the word endurance again. Uh, The race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Remember I said, when I said, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Well, he's going to close that idea by saying, look at Jesus. He joyfully accepted even the cross, and he endured that pain. Like, Jesus becomes the ultimate hope to which we fix our eyes on. And that's the idea of verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We have, he's been saying, trust what you don't see, 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 and fix your eyes on Jesus the whole time, because he becomes the model of how to do this. He becomes the model of how to endure faithfully, how to remain trustworthy and committed to God, and to even accept joyfully the pains that are thrown upon him because he sees something better on the other side. Now what we see on the other side is uh, maybe heaven, maybe a, a relationship with God, and I believe what Jesus saw on the other side of the cross was each and every one of us, the people who are forgiven, the people who he will share an eternity with, the people who he will forgive and raise up again to live in eternity with him. That's the hope that Jesus is fixing his eyes on as he endured the cross, and we are called to fix our eyes on him as we endure whatever this life throws at us. Verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, I think we live in a world where sometimes it's easy to grow weary, and it certainly is easy to lose heart. We don't know what the future holds. Sometimes, sometimes the difficulties of what we're going through now outweigh the benefits, and it can be easy to just focus on the momentary things all around us and to lose hope. But faith and hope is when you can trust in God through the momentary hardships, enduring whatever comes your way, because you know that God has made promises, and you know that he will fulfill them. So my encouragement to you as we bring our lesson to a close is don't get swept away in the momentary afflictions you're facing. Don't get swept away in the, the desire maybe to go back to a former way of life. Maybe the desire to leave Christ, but to endure, to stay faithful, to remember the promise and the commitment you made when you became a Christian. If you're a Christian, you promised God something on that day. Don't throw that promise away, because he won't throw his promise away. He's always faithful to his promises. Live your life in such a way that you're faithful to yours. And if we can help you do that this morning, if we can help you promise your life to God through faith and baptism, or if we can help you... Get your life back in line with the promises that you made previously. Please let that be known. You can either come and sit on the front row or you can talk to one of our elders in the library in the back. If you have that need, please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.